you know, I think it's a really bright future with indigenous foods. And I think it's going to do a lot of good for all of us as indigenous peoples within indigenous communities for our health, for our spirits, and just knowing that we're preserving a huge piece of our culture through our foods. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Native Minnesota, a podcast about the Native American experience in Minnesota and beyond. I'm your host, Rebecca Crook Stratton. I'm the Secretary Treasurer of the Shakopee Midwakton Sioux Community here in Minnesota. This podcast is a project of Understand Native Minnesota. This campaign is focused on improving the narrative about Native Americans in Minnesota's public schools. My tribe launched Understand Native Minnesota to bring greater public awareness and knowledge about Native Americans and their communities. Hello, everyone. I'm super excited to introduce my guest today, Sean Sherman, um, the sous chef. He is on to share a little bit about food sovereignty, his initiatives with Awamini, his new restaurant in downtown Minneapolis. He also has a wonderful nonprofit that he's a part of. Uh, he is Lakota uh, from Oglala Reservation. Um, hello, Sean. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Haniwashte. Thanks for having me. Haniwashte. I'm so glad to, to see you and um, I'm excited to try out your new restaurant. But before we kind of dive into Owamani, I'd love a little background. You know, what, what inspired you to get into food? And, you know, what about your upbringing really brought you back to, to traditional foods? Absolutely. Well, you know, I was born and raised on Pine Ridge and you know, just uh, grew up out there on the plains. We spent a lot of our summers in the Black Hills. Um, and we were just kind of surrounded by nature all the time as kids, you know, especially kids in the 70s. There's, I think parenting was a little loose on Pine Ridge in the 70s in general. So we had a lot of freedom. Um, but we were always outdoors and we were just always around plants. And um, my mom moved us into Spearfish, South Dakota when I was really young. And I started working restaurants when I was 13 years old. And I worked restaurants all through high school and college. And then after college, I moved to Minneapolis and I worked my way up into a chef position really quickly. So I became a very young chef in Minneapolis in the early 2000s and just did that. And a few years into my chef career, I had this epiphany of doing what I'm doing because I realized the complete absence of Native American indigenous foods anywhere in the culinary world. Everything was so Eurocentric. You know, everything was about French food and Spanish food, Italian food and um, there was just no mention of here and what our ancestors were eating and what they were growing, how, what they're harvesting, and how are they preserving foods. So it really set me on a path to try to truly understand, you know, what, what my Lakota ancestors were eating. And then eventually after studying that for quite a while, it opened me up to really looking at all the different groups around us and trying to understand indigenous diversity in general, because there's so much of it everywhere. And it's so unique and so special, no matter where you look at it. So I feel like there's so much for us to learn and to preserve when it comes to indigenous values. And it's just looking at what are the true foods of North America, where we're standing. Did you have like a, a grandma or an auntie or mom or dad or, you know, who was the chef in your family that, you know, taught you some of the, the basic cooking? Well, I think like a lot of Native families, we'd have big gatherings during celebrations and holidays and stuff like that. And all my my grandmother and all my aunts and mom would everybody be in the kitchen, you know. So, and I remember just some of those traditional foods, like we had the the big pots of taniga going on and big pots of uh, wojapi going on and pieces like that. Um, and then learning how to hunt at a very young age with my grandfather. 
we had a lot of pheasant, we had a lot of ducks, we had some antelope, we had lots of venison. Um, and, you know, just all those little pieces, harvesting, uh, harvesting timsala growing up and harvesting choke cherries, um, all that stuff, you know, was just kind of uh, part of the part of my path in the beginning to get to where I am today. That's great. You know, a lot of the, the foods that you're talking, you know, harvesting and being able to hunt, you know, when we talk about indigenous foods, uh, a lot of people think, you know, modern indigenous foods or commodity foods like um, fry bread and, and, you know, some of those things that uh, were a result of, you know, colonization and being on reservations and having to utilize commodities. But a lot of people, when they think of traditional native foods, they don't think of, um, you know, the choke cherries and, and the harvesting. How do we change that? And what are you doing to make those traditional foods come to mind rather than some of the commodity foods? Yeah, and I think it's really about access and education. And that's kind of what our nonprofit, our two forefronts are, is looking at those two pieces. Because number one, we need to have access to our foods. Like we need to have more stores that can sell our foods and we have to have more op opportunities to produce and sell foods too for individuals. Um, but a lot of it's also education. It's just learning the true value of why it's important to understand the world around us, you know, and understand the plants the way our ancestors looked at this world. Because when we look outside, we'd see nothing but food and medicine, you know, because we'd learn the true names of all these plants and the, how they integrate in our lives and how we're able to utilize them. And I think that education is so important, you know. So I always tease that our kids can name more uh, K-pop bands than they can tree species, you know. <laughs> and so it's really important to think about what we're teaching our children, you know, what's our educational value and why is it important to learn all these pieces? Because it really opens up that connection to the world around us. And it's a direct connection to our own ancestors and the knowledge that they carried and shared for countless generations. And I think your initiative um, and efforts go so much deeper than just food. I know food sovereignty has been a big buzzword uh, the past few years and tribes and communities are really, you know, investing in gardens and getting their hands in the dirt and, and growing foods and harvesting foods um, because we know, you know, young people have more of an interest in foods they can actually grow and pick and that are healthy for them. So in addition to shedding light on indigenous foods, this is also in a lot of ways a health effort too, right? Absolutely, because when we look at our true indigenous foods and what we were putting in our bodies, like we had one of the healthiest diets on the planet, well, as did a lot of indigenous peoples everywhere when it comes down to it. But, you know, for us taking the measures to cut out colonial ingredients of things that were introduced here, so not using any dairy, not using any wheat flour, not using cane sugar, um, and even typically not using beef, pork, or chicken to showcase uh, alternative protein choices that are more relevant to where we are. It really creates that really healthy diet because our indigenous foods, like we're, they're low glycemic, so they're really healthy for our bodies. You know, there's a, a lot of plant diversity, which is just really, really good for us to have all that. It's really understanding how to utilize all these things like white cedar and balsam fir and juniper and all these plants around us and how that can be a part of our diet, you know. And it's just, it's, we can really change a lot because we look at some of the health epidemic that's been happening, especially on tribal communities, especially for communities that have been relying on government food programs like the FTPIR and commodity food program, like what I had to grow up with. 
you know, it's a struggle. Like we just, it's not true nutritional foods, you know, and it's hard to get healthy foods out of that. And even though they're sending a, trying to send a balance of nutrition out there, not everybody's eating a balance of nutrition. So it's just a lot of carbs and a lot of salt and a lot of sodium. That's why you see a lot of heart disease and a lot of obesity and a lot of type two diabetes and all the stuff that's born from this food that we're putting in our own body. So we need to change that. We need to change like what kind of foods we think are cool, what kind of foods can make us happy. Our body has to be happy. So when you're eating our indigenous foods, it's not only just, you know, it doesn't feel good. I mean, it feels great culturally and just being around it, but it also makes your body and your spirit feel good because our brains are connected to our body, you know, so how we eat affects how we feel and how we think. So it's just really important to have that healthy, balanced diet. You know, Thinking about harvesting and our traditional foods, I know here in Minnesota, um, wild rice, a very important staple for both the Dakota and the Ojibwe communities uh, here in Minnesota, is threatened by pollution and water quality. And, you know, what can we do to keep these foods and ensure that, you know, we have these for, for generations to come? I think it's really, really important for us to continue to bring awareness to why these foods are important and to understand this connection that we as Indigenous peoples have to these foods and how important it is to protect it, not just for right now, but for the next generations coming. You know, I think, too, when we talk about, you know, Indigenous foods and in Indigenous uh, community, uh, food really is, you know, something that brings community together. And I think I've seen some of your efforts over the past year to really feed the community, not, you know, just food, but to use this as a tool to bring people together, you know, following the civil unrest with with George Floyd's murder, um, you and your team made meals for people and handed stuff out, you know, at the homeless encampments near Powderhorn park um you know why why is this piece of you know feeding community important to you and your work too i think it's just a really important part of it because you know it's not you know for us like a typical restaurant is typically a it's an ego project of the chef or you know it's just trying to get notoriety for something but we need to change all of that you know we've been living in this world where it's just, we need to change. We're not here to just to feed the rich. You know, we need to do something different. We need to be conscious about who we're purchasing food from and who we're supporting and making sure that everybody has access to healthy food, which was a really important step for us as we were doing a lot of the food relief last year because we were doing 400 meals a day when the George Floyd incident happened throughout the whole summer for months. And then we were doing 10,000 meals a week, um, sending food out to nine out of the 11 tribes across Minnesota. Just making sure that people had healthy indigenous foods, you know, especially for their communities and creating that access is so, so important. And especially for people who are struggling, especially in those homeless encampments that they typically have, you know, they're dealing with so much personal trauma in their life and they have so little access to anything healthy and they don't even have time to think about that stuff. Like, why not just make sure they have access to something healthy? Maybe it'll help their brains be a little bit stronger, their bodies be a little bit stronger so they can you know, deal with some of the intense issues that they're going through. I just believe that everybody should have access to these foods, you know, so it's a really important issue. When you kind of took off, uh, your career as a chef just uh, exploded, right? 
And you were definitely in demand all over the place. Uh, people were really excited about, you know, this indigenous chef. It, it was new, but kind of to offset that, you created a, a, a training program so that, you know, what you're doing could, could happen in communities across the country. Can you talk a little bit about, about that and the success of that? Absolutely. Well, I feel like we're just getting started, but our nonprofit, it's called NATIFS, N-A-T-I-F-S, and it's an acronym for North American Traditional Indigenous Food Systems. And under NATIFS, we have Indigenous Food Lab, which is um, uh, at Midtown Global Market in South Minneapolis. And through Indigenous Food Lab, we're able to do quite a few things. That's where all of our food relief efforts are going. Our goal is to work directly with tribal communities to help them to develop their own indigenous culinary operations. We can help them develop recipes and menus that are culturally relevant, utilizing their language, utilizing foods that um, are, are supposed to be from those areas, you know, and just helping them develop that to be a support system and show them a new way. And utilizing this big commercial kitchen, you know, where we're able to do a lot of food in high volume and being able to scale it. So here's how you do it for 12 people or here's how you do it for 5,000 people, you know. And we're hoping that we can work with tribal communities all across the state. We're also working with individuals. We had a chef down from Alaska. We had some chefs out from California. We have some young kids coming out from Pine Ridge. And we're just setting up systems to be able to train and develop more talent when it comes to kitchen operations. But it's going to be really important for tribes to be able to implement this so we can really teach them um, how do we really create modern indigenous healthy menus. And it, we're not even pushing the term healthy, really, because it's just it's just the way our foods are. You know, we're just trying to teach them how to cook indigenous um, and they can do that for setting up programs for community centers. They could do it for casinos where they could, you know, have a restaurant like this in the casinos that's really focused on where they are and who they are, you know, and really bring out something special. So we have all these training opportunities for people. We are also able to do a lot of entrepreneurial development so we can bring in individuals and help them write business models, find financing for their business plans, and just create a place for them to um, sell foods or cook foods or do whatever they want to do. We are creating a small native market inside the Midtown Global so we can start selling a lot of indigenous food products, but also creating a distribution point. Our goal is to replicate Indigenous Food Lab and to open more of them around the nation. So this first year, I'm really trying to explore of possibly opening up a food lab in Anchorage, Alaska, and one in Rapid City, South Dakota, because each one of those can be regional center points to further indigenous education, research and development. And just trying to say, create a safe place to hold all of our indigenous knowledge for the next generations, but also doing all of this training, development, and support for the communities around there, and hopefully seeing more and more indigenous food production um, and startups grow out of those out of those support systems. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think especially training our, our youth is so important. And I think a lot of times in tribal communities, especially, we have a hard time getting small economic development operations off the ground, especially individuals. So knowing that you have a, a training program and access to resources, I think is really valuable to, to tribal communities. Absolutely. Yeah, we have a couple, we have a few kids here under 16 years old at the restaurant. And I think it's really special to be able to have a space for that to happen where they're working in this really popular restaurant, you know, and they're seeing all this buzz and they're just right there in the middle of it, helping us, you know, cut up sunchokes and make wojapi in the back and all those kinds of things. And those kids are just really excited to be a part of it all. You know, it's important to be able to do something different so we can offer that opportunity to, to some of our youth. 
Well, important to have role models too, like you, you know, they, they see themselves in you as an indigenous person who, you know, took, took an indigenous value and principle and really was able to, to use that to be successful um, and are now giving back to the community. So I think that's really powerful. So thank you for, for that. Um, I'd love to, to dive into Awamni a little bit and, you know, hear kind of more about uh, what your inspiration was, how it all came together. You know, you have a really amazing um, spot right on the river there uh, and the, all the development that's going on that does support, you know, lifting up uh, Indigenous people and identity and kind of calling that out. And you are right at the center of that. Yeah, it's such a unique situation and we couldn't have ever dreamed that our first big restaurant project would be this massive project, you know, because it's really such a beautiful thing. So we're actually in this brand new park. So this this little this plot is owned by the Minneapolis Park Board and it was largely funded through the Minneapolis Park Board Foundation to be able to do this because it was a pretty big a pretty big project, you know, and when we won the proposal back in 2016, we you know, realized how special this space was because we're right on the shores of where the waterfalls used to be, which were Awamni Yamni. So we took the short name, of course, which is just Awamni. And it was it's such a special place with so much deep history. And even like, you know, that picture of the Dakota Village right behind you of being right here on the side of the river where our restaurant is, you know, it's so special, right? And being able to talk about that and even working with the landscapers as they were putting all the plants back down, putting only indigenous species back down. And then uh, working with them to create placards. So it'll showcase the Dakota name of the plant, since that's the original name of the plant in that soil. And then uh, the English name, and then a little description of that plant's used. So people will be able to walk around this park and see all of this cool education right there in real time. And we're utilizing a lot of those flavors in our restaurant in real time too, you know? So it's just a, such, such a special project. And uh, we're just really excited for people to come and show, uh, showcase what we can do with modern indigenous foods. And we're gonna continue to push the limits and set the bar kind of high of what modern indigenous foods can be. And we just want people to uh, come down and see. And, you know, we're really popular right now. So every time we open up our reservations, um, they're just booked out in moments. So we're booked out through November, I think, right now, which is a few couple months away already. But we're creating more systems to have uh, more food. We bought a food truck so that it can service the park. So if people can't get in the restaurant, they can visit Tatanka Truck, which was our food truck brand. And it'll be downstairs on the on the river level and people could still get some fun indigenous ingredients. We do it in the style that we have always done. We cut out colonial ingredients with the dairy and the flour and the sugar. We have a whole bunch of wild foods, uh, lots of wild teas like Labrador tea and uh, cedar tea and all sorts of stuff like that, chaga tea. And we have, uh, uh, we use a lot of proteins like duck and geese and quail and fish and venison, antelope and rabbit. Um, um, and there's and all, the, all the wonderful fish that's all around the lakes up here, but also just a lot of plant-based foods. Like the, the menu is largely plant-based when it comes down to it, or most things can be ordered with just plant-based stuff. So we try and prioritize purchasing from indigenous producers first. So we get all of our corn, all of our beans, a lot of our produce from indigenous places. Uh, we get a lot of produce from like Dreamworld Health, for example. We have bought a lot of produce out of Wojupi um, in the past, and we want to continue to just open up doors to be able to purchase a lot of indigenous foods. 
I found a couple living up north. I don't remember which lake they were by, but they were sitting on like 1,200 pounds of, of rice. And I just bought all of it from them, you know? So being able to have that opportunity to do that, to support a lot of these young these young startups, you know, and to have a place to really showcase the beauty of their food and pay really fair market value prices for that. I think it's so important to showcase just all of that, you know? So it's a really cool, cool project and we're just excited for people to come and try it. And uh, we're about ready to change into our harvest menu because it's uh, seasons change so fast. So come, come and visit. What's your favorite thing on the menu? Well, um, we have a lot of Nixmalized corn products. Our food lab actually processes all, a lot of this heirloom native corn um, into a Nixtamal or hominy, as my, people might know it better. And then from there, we uh, process it into tortillas. So we make all of these wonderful um, heirloom indigenous uh, tortillas. But we have a lot of fun stuff. And there's a uh, some of the favorites on there. There's a bison tartar that people love so much. There's like aronia and wasna and a bunch of stuff on it. Um, there's uh, some preserved rabbit that people really love. Um, there's a sweet potato with an indigenous chili sauce that's really super good. Um, and there's just a lot of simple, beautiful foods, you know, and we're just showcasing like the simplicity and the beauty at the same time through these like lightly processed foods that we just do everything in house. And it's just, you feel really good when you eat it, you know. I have definitely enjoyed all everything I've tasted uh, that has come from your kitchen. You have a, a wonderful cookbook also that people um, can pick up at their local bookstore that uh, really, you know, allows you to do this in your own kitchen. Um, I, I know I have the book myself and I love paging through it, but some of the ingredients are not stuff you're going to find at uh, Cub Foods, right? What was the reaction to, to the cookbook and maybe some of those uh, items that aren't traditionally found on your grocery store shelf? You know, people would always be like, oh, I love your cookbook, but I don't know where to get any of the ingredients. Where should I go? And I was like, well, outside maybe <laughs> but no a lot of the stuff is pretty friendly um you know dana would always call it ironically foreign because it's food that's just from here you know it's just like what's around us and a lot of it's easy because you can find corn products like tell people to go to the mercados because like the mexican markets a lot of that's our indigenous foods there's dried corns and hominy and nixtamal and all sorts of beans and things like that and corn so there's just all sorts of good stuff there but really, it's just looking at the world around us, learning a few of these plants, you know, putting some cedar, or some pine or some spruce in some of your stews or something, you know, just like getting some of the flavors of the world around us in your food. And that first cookbook was just trying to showcase that viewpoint and that philosophy of cooking with indigenous foods. And I'm excited to be able to do more cookbooks to continue to show to showcase that, you know, because it really is the true foods of North America. You know, our, you know, the foods of the United States, it shouldn't be hamburgers and Coca-Cola, you know, it should be what a reflection of our indigenous spirits and, and diversities are and showcasing and celebrating those diversities in a culinary and cultural way. Native American food is a wide and fascinating topic. If you'd like to learn more, I encourage you to visit sue-chef.com to read more about Sean Sherman the mission behind his organization, and his new restaurant, Awamni. There's a link in our description as well. Also, video content from the annual conference on Native American nutrition, co-sponsored by the University of Minnesota and my tribe, includes a great series of cooking demonstrations with Indigenous women chefs. Episodes include different recipes from maple turkey to apple cider squash. 
visit the link in our description to learn more. Now back to our episode. And as you put that book together, I know you are well-versed in Indigenous foods just from your upbringing and, and where you lived, but you also put a lot of time and effort into research and really understanding traditional food ways, uh, not only here, you know, in the Midwest and Plains region, but you've worked, you know, down in the Southwest and, and stuff like that. Where do you go to find, you know, education on on indigenous foods prior to colonization? Well, I mean, I think it was a long journey, you know, because I always tease like in the beginning, I couldn't just go and order the joy of Native American cooking because it just <laughs> didn't exist at that time point. But um, I feel like I talked to a lot of elders, you know, I have aunts that grew up on Pine Ridge and have lived there their whole lives and they're in their 90s now, you know, and they have so many stories of memories, especially how the elders were doing things when they were very, very young children, you know. And those stories are really important, you know, to understand as a base of it. But it's also understand just to, I, I spent a lot of time reading and uh, learning about wild foods and wild plants and ethnobotany. I uh, worked for the Forest Service in the Black Hills right out of high school. And I, my job was to learn the names of all these plants in the Northern Black Hills, which came in pretty handy later in life as I started really attaching to everything, you know. And I think it's going to be a lifelong education. Like, I think that's kind of an exciting part that I'll never stop learning. And having this opportunity, this unique opportunity that I've created to be able to travel everywhere, visit with indigenous communities on in the Northwest or the Southeast or up in Alaska or down in Mexico, and really listen to their stories and experience, you know, what their traditional foods are, just being really open to seeing that diversity out there and just, you know, understanding how special and unique everybody is, whatever region they're from. And trying to pull those stories out and showcase, like, how do we preserve some of that knowledge and how do we protect some of those foods, you know, to make sure that they're here for the next generations. And I think, you know, we in the United States probably don't think about food uh, the way we should think about food as, you know, food is medicine in a lot of ways, right? Um, so ensuring those those healthy foods that really take care of our body, um, the Shakopee Midwakanton Sioux community. Uh, our first philanthropic campaign was called Seeds of Native Health, and that was really to raise awareness about health issues across Indian country. And I know you've been at some of the conferences and, and shared, you know, recipes and done some speaking and, and cooking engagements. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, food as medicine and, and how that plays into your philosophy about, about cooking and providing? I think it's all super tied together because it's just our food is so healthy for us, you know, and we had to eat preventatively as Indigenous peoples because we were very in tune with how we were feeling and we would have certain foods that we would go to. So every food has properties behind it. So you look at all these plants around us, you know, and it's that Indigenous perspective of, you know, what is it edible? Is it medicinal? Can we do something like craft with it? And typically you can do all of that with those foods, you know, so everything has properties that certain foods will make you feel in certain ways, you know, and there's so much study on that already. But I think as Indigenous peoples, we just kind of know that a little bit, that eating these foods is so good for us. and It nourishes us on a deeper level. And it's going to be really important that we have access to that, you know. So again, like our work trying to create restaurants, trying to create more chefs, trying to create little markets that sell a lot of Indigenous products, both wild and domesticated, and really have an opportunity for more Indigenous entrepreneurs to get into that field. 
Um, it, it's going to be so important for us to be able to eat like that, you know? And so it's, so it's just as convenient as going to the convenience store and just grabbing some stuff that we need to have native products that we can be proud of um, that can make us feel good and that we can support. Um, and, you know, it's understanding of people's, you know, what they have access to in general, because some people don't have a lot of money, especially on some of the communities that struggle um, and rely on the on the commodity food program. So we've been working with people like within the USDA to help think about ways that we can do things better, you know? So like, how do we create a healthier food base? And we should be purchasing foods from indigenous peoples to give back to indigenous peoples if, it, if those programs are gonna be working like that and creating products that are actually going to be healthier for us to eat and just not full of carbs and sodium and all that kind of stuff, you know, and keeping it regional, not just trying to like, you know, buy up all the wild rice from our region and trying to spread it across the whole United States because people in the Southeast or the Southwest, that's not part of their traditional foods, you know, we should be purchasing and distributing around here. So not breaking the, all of the distribution and all the supply that we have here to try and stretch ourselves too thin to feed everybody, you know? There's all sorts of things that we need to be thinking about. So regional indigenous food systems is really have to, where we have to strive and um, putting that food in our body is gonna make us healthier as a whole all across the board. And, you know, for, for those of us, you know, with young people in our communities and our families, how do you encourage kids? How do you mentor kids to embrace, you know, this indigenous food ways? I think that part of it is just, you know, more education outdoors, more education in the kitchen. Kids love playing with food. You know, I've had so many fun little uh, classes with kids um, or are taking kids on foraging trips and just starting to learn not only the foods, but some of the true names of the foods on the land that they happen to be on, you know, and then bringing those foods back into the kitchen and process processing them, you know. Or, you know, um, I think Dream of Wild Health does such a great job with having their youth programs and letting those kids see a garden from seed to harvest and then cooking those foods all along the way. You know, something that really resonates and sticks with them. So we just need to have more of that hands-on Indigenous education-focused uh, teachings, you know, for, for our youth. So we really have to decolonize our education systems, you know. We have to work really hard towards that and really work on things that are important. And food is a big part of that, you know. Because if food is coming from our land, food is coming from our seeds, um, and, you know, it's important, and kids love that, you know, and being able to cook something and, and give it to the elders, and the elders love that, too, you know, so it's really special. So that's where we should be putting a lot of focus on youth is in that Indigenous perspective of education. So speaking of that, there's community gardens have become really popular, right? Whether you're in the inner city or even in rural areas, what would be your advice as to staples that should be in a community garden? Well, I think that we just love vegetables so much in general, but of course, you know, some of our, some of our ancestral pieces, like the different varieties of corns, different varieties of beans, different varieties of squash, all sorts of fruits and berries um, and just having a really diverse garden, you know, of all sorts of stuff. You know, we don't want monocultural crops. We want all, we want a whole bunch of stuff you know, around us. And, you know, having uh, down in Wajupi with all of those food orchards, you know, and all those berries, trees and things like that is such a wonderful forward thinking way to be of creating a space that will just continuously grow all of these foods that are really special to us that our community can have access to, you know, so it's going to be, 
you know, people should just have fun with it. And we were hoping uh, to be able to connect a lot of people with more Indigenous seeds. There's a lot of support out there. There's a lot of access for Indigenous peoples to get Indigenous seeds to put in the ground. And there's just a lot of education out there for people who are just learning um, how to start small, but, you know, to do a little by little every year and you just get better and better at it, you know, and there's just, um, we need to create more groups of people to learn with each other and have more community gardens where people can grow together. Um, and that's, that's a completely possible future. You've referenced Wujupi a, a few times. That is the garden here at the Shakopee Midwakton Sioux community. And it really was established as part of our food sovereignty program um, and has, you know, really serviced the community. This year, uh, we gave out boxes to elders, you know, it included all the fresh vegetables, but honey and, and syrup. And we've had a really great time bringing community together into our new cultural center, Hocho Kadati, to, to learn how to can and, and process and, and that sort of stuff. So I think Wajupi and yeah, that garden, it's more, you know, it's more than just providing food. It, it brings people together, which is really exciting. What's the future of the sous chef? Um, I know you've got a lot of fires, uh, irons in the fire already, but um, I imagine there's big plans. Yeah, well, I've been working on another uh, cookbook that will kind of showcase indigenous diversity across North America from Mexico through Alaska. So that's been a fun project to be working on. Um, we're going to start working on the extensions with the Indigenous Food Lab and getting more of those out there around the nation to continue this work and to spread out and to create more distribution points for more Indigenous food access. Because um, we're hoping to be in cities all over the nation eventually and even crossing colonial borders. So it can be uh, all across Canada, down in Mexico or, wherever, or beyond, you know, it could be everywhere. And um, we're looking forward to just seeing where this restaurant takes us and then what kind of opportunities open up for us and hoping to help people develop more of these cool indigenous focused restaurants for their communities. Um, and, you know, I think it's a really bright future with indigenous foods. And I think it's gonna do a lot of good for all of us as indigenous peoples within indigenous communities for our health, for our spirits, and just knowing that we're preserving a huge piece of our culture through our foods and making sure that our children uh, have access and will know the difference of how they feel when they eat um, indigenous foods compared to junk foods, you know? Um, so we're just, we, I think there's just so much exciting stuff to do. And, you know, there's just endless things to learn within this whole situation too. So um, all of it's really exciting. It is really exciting. Um, and I just, you know, I wonder as you were uh, kind of building momentum and building your career, did you face any obstacles or, you know, naysayers? Like, was there any, you know, pushback? Like, oh, this indigenous thing is never going to work. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause people would say like an indigenous restaurant, like nobody would want to come to that. Like, why, what are you going to serve there? You know? And like, just things like that. Cause people had no idea of, what it was, you know, but that was a part of this work was just being able to tell that story and to showcase it through food. And, you know, food is so tangible. And now we have this restaurant that's so tangible for people to come and try. Um, and, you know, we're experimenting. We're not trying to recreate the past. We're just trying to understand the past, to apply it to now and to grow with it so we can evolve our foods into something new for the next generations. You know, we have endless opportunities to showcase that, to do that. Um, and nobody can deny that an Indigenous restaurant can exist now because we're here. 
Do you have any advice for any other Indigenous chefs out there that are looking to take the same sort of career path as you? Absolutely. I mean, I want, uh, I hope that people just coming into this will connect with some of the uh, great Indigenous chefs that are already out there, um, you know, decide what kind of style they want to do. Um, how they can, how this, how their work can really help their community, um, where they can purchase foods from, and just knowing that there's support out there, and we're developing a lot of support out there for people. So people can come and work with us in the restaurant. People can come and work with us in the food lab, and we can help. You know, we want to see more and more chefs out there, food truck operators, caterers, restaurateurs, whatever they might be, or even larger entities. Again, like we can help entire tribes. We can have help universities develop more culinary programs within their campuses so their students can have access to it too and all sorts of opportunities like that so just just there's people just have we just have to connect you know we just we're in this together so we would just want to help um and you know there are quite a few uh indigenous chefs out there that you know are definitely making waves uh who are some of your favorites uh, we just have so many friends, you know, we're a part of like Slow Food Turtle Island group where there's just a whole bunch of chefs. We've been able to do huge dinners in, in uh, Turin in Italy every couple of years. Um, we've had these huge food conferences that have just been growing exponentially every year. There's just so many people out there, you know, um, and yeah, we're just really excited. Um, there's great chefs up in Canada. There's great chefs down in Mexico. And, you know, there's people all over the place. So I think people should just plug in and start to see as, you know, so if you're on social media, so you're just going to see it more and more out there of all these wonderful chefs doing wonderful things. So we're just, it's just an exciting future when it comes to Indigenous foods. You mentioned this network. Um, if people are looking for an Indigenous chef, you know, where, where can they go to, to find somebody, to find an experience like Awamani, uh, maybe someplace else? Yeah, I mean, there is a group called I Collective out there. There's a group, there's the Slow Food Turtle Island group. Um, NAFSA, the Native American Food Sovereignty Alliance, has a lot of great stuff that they've worked on. Um, and there's just a lot of big efforts going on and out there, you know, all over the place. And there's, we're seeing a lot more little startups coming around, kids doing what we were doing in the beginning of just doing some pop-up dinners and doing some catering and stuff like that, or maybe getting a food truck. And I think, you know, we're going to see more and more and more. And we feel it because we're right in the middle of it and just moving forward, you know. And uh, yeah, so there's just a lot of cool people. People just have to open their eyes and start connecting and just searching because it's, it's out there. It definitely is. It's getting more popular by the day, I feel like. You know, learning about Native American cuisine, you know, there's not a lot of uh, resources. So, you know, we've got you and, and your cookbook. And if people are really interested in, you know, learning more about Indigenous cuisine, where would you point them? First off, I would say, yeah, read some of these resources that are out there. Like we have a lot of good stuff in the cookbook with some of the philosophy, but really just thinking about where you are, like whatever land you might be on, learning the histories of that land, the struggles that indigenous peoples had to go through and are still going through and understanding the beauty of the foods that they were surviving with and utilizing and celebrating on a daily basis, you know, and understanding how the seasons worked and all the different pieces. And I think it's just a wide open world. Like you can study any part of North America and it'll be equally as exciting to learn about the communities that are from those regions, you know. And all the foods around you, all the plants, all the trees, all the animals and birds and fish, and wherever you might be, like there's just so much to learn. And it's just that's that's the true food and flavor of where you might be. That's how you learn. It's just connecting to it. 
what is, you know, like one of your greatest uh, wishes for how, you know, people see Indigenous cuisine and Indigenous foods and, you know, how, how people start to incorporate those into their own cooking? Well, I hope that we can really see a lot of more. I, I hope that we can see a lot more access to this, which is, you know, part of the work that we're trying to do with creating these native markets of having a lot of different indigenous food pieces within there. Um, just so people can try to experiment more with it. And I want to see more indigenous restaurateurs. I want to see more tribes creating entire indigenous restaurants and creating more um, indigenous chefs out of all of that too. Um, and, you know, I just think that we need to just see like, we have to truly understand like how this affects everything, you know, because if we're utilizing our land spaces better, setting up more biodiverse gardening systems and permacultural systems and pulling a lot of foods for, from those for our communities and supporting a lot more um, just community agricultural pieces and small gardenings and stuff like that. Um, and purchasing a lot of these foods from these small vendors, we shouldn't be purchasing all our foods from these huge box trucks, you know, we should be really conscious of which foods we're purchasing and who we're supporting and who we're elevating, you know, because um, so many times you see some of those bigger entities that have so many big resources and they're buying all their foods from non-native producers, you know, and who are, why are they supporting that? Like, we should be really learning how to support some of these pieces that are really important and uplifting, you know, indigenous peoples through that. It's a big part of it. So there's a lot of work that needs to happen. There's a lot of change that needs to happen. Um, and we're just doing our part of trying to role model how we think we can do this and how we can showcase and how we can work with entire cities to think about reutilizing land spaces better instead of having these, you know, giant open lots of nothing like we could be creating all sorts of smaller food forests or more community gardens and, you know, being able to have uh, community based uh, support systems where volunteers can come in and harvest and process foods and create huge pantries that could benefit the community, especially the community in need of food, you know, so there's all sorts of things that we can be working on for the future. I know that people right now are popular, so it's really hard to get reservations. I think it's funny that our reservation app is called Resi, but it's uh, people can go to Resi and they can't they can find some reservations. But we do take walk-ins, especially while the weather's still nice. We have some beautiful fire pits outside by the river; people can sit and enjoy. But yeah, I just encourage people to come and check out the space and to think about indigenous foods and. It's it's good and bad that we're doing this because number it's great that we're able to open and showcase that this can happen. But these kinds of restaurants should have already been here all over in every single city, showcasing the, the history and the cultures everywhere. You know, we should have had, you know, these restaurants in Chicago and Manhattan and Boston and Seattle and everywhere. You know, so we just we need there's a lot of work to do. You know, it shouldn't be so unique to find a native, a native American indigenous restaurant. It should be commonplace. I agree. And thank you for all the work you're doing to make this more commonplace. Um, I think it's wonderful. And congratulations on Awamani and, you know, all your success and your future endeavors. I cannot wait to get down there. Uh, that is on my list to do in the next couple of weeks. So I hope to pop by and say hello. Awesome. Just let us know. We'll be here. Sounds good. Thanks, Sean, so much for chatting with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you for joining me for the Native Minnesota podcast. For more episodes, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also visit our website, understandnativemn.org, to learn more about our campaign's work to improve the Native narrative in Minnesota's public schools.